turning point of the 11th century opened the road for the transformation of the idea of law that was about to come in the, in the following 12th century. But what is a major change in the mind of an historian? An historian looks for clues, signs left in the documents, and documents can have different natures. We have the public official acts issued by the public powers, laws, privileges, grants. Then we have what is left of a private documents, mainly contracts of sale or donations to churches. Some documents report the progress and decision of a trial. Some other are complaints to the local or the central authority against pretended arrogance of the landlords. There are a number of chronicles telling events concerning churches and monasteries, or concerning the emperor or some kings, or the papacy. We have also theological writings, collections of canons, other genre of scholarly literature. If we consider all these kinds of sources around the year 1100, we can clearly see many signs of renewal. Something began already during the age of Gregory Seventh. In 1185, after the second excommunication of the emperor by the pope, the representatives of Henry IV and of Gregory met in Germany, in the village of Gerstungen. The defenders of Henry claimed that the excommunication had to be considered as void, because it was inflicted without respecting the canonical principle established by the Pseudo-Isidorian Decretals about dispossession. You may remember that during the 9th century, the collection of forged Decretals called Pseudo-Isidorian reached a very broad diffusion, and then among its aims there was the statement of the basic principle that every dispossession which was not the outcome of a judicial decision, was unlawful and void. At Gerstungen, the advocates of the emperor read loudly a little passage of the Pseudo-Isidore, where you read that, I quote, anyone dispossessed, spoliatus, of his property, or rejected from his position, cannot be accused, summoned, judged, or condemned before being integrally restored. End quote. They claimed that the Pope had broken this principle when he excommunicated the Emperor without a due process. The defender of the Pope was Otto, then Cardinal of Ostia, who shortly later was elected Pope Urban II. When hearing the few words about dispossession quoted by his adversaries at Gerstungen, Hotto was not reactive enough 
for rebutting the claim. And actually, the discussion ended up in a violent fight. After all, this is very medieval. But some days later, back at home, Otto took his own book of the Isidorian forgeries, and he found the passage quoted by his adversaries, and finally he wrote a letter explaining that the advocates of the emperor had played dirty, abstracting only one phrase from its context. If you read the entire text of the Pseudo-Isidore, you must admit that the principle of unlawful dispossession does not apply to the secular subjects, as the emperor is, but only to the clerks. The Pope representer of Christ on earth and holder of the supreme spiritual power, could very well dispossess the emperor by excommunicating him for his sins. If we admit the principle that every layman who has suffered a material dispossession cannot be spiritually condemned, wrote Otto, we would severely limit the essential saving action of the spiritual power. Invoking the dispossession principle in defense of the emperor was then completely inappropriate if we stay to the very text of the compilation of Pseudo-Isidore. Why do I report this story? because it witnesses about a very important change of approach which came along with the Gregorian reform. Do not think for a moment that the legal book quoted by both parties was a forgery, because it was considered as authentic by everyone at the time. But the advocates of the emperor treated this text in the old way, by extracting only what they found useful for their purposes, being convinced of the innocence of Henry IV. The very legal text was bended to the needs of the party, used in a rhapsodic way, as a musician does when he uses some notes from a popular song in his original music. The musician does not reproduce the original song. He uses it for his own purposes. The same did the theologian lawyers of the pre-Gregorian age. But the political agenda of the reformers asked for a change of approach. The primacy of the legislator was reflected in the authority of the very text he had issued. One could not extract a passage and forget its context, because the text reflected the legislative will of the author. It was the mirror of his sovereignty. When Otto of Ostia, the future Pope Urban II, replaced the principle of unlawful dispossession in its textual context, he acted as a lawyer, as a lawyer of the 12th century that was about to begin.
In fact, the birth of the so-called Jus Commune was based on three elements. The first, the restitution of the ancient Roman text in its original form. Second, the adoption of a new method to analyze the legislative texts. And third, the invention of the universities, the learning centers in which this new method of interpretation was taught to the students and a new class of professionals was formed.